0: This is Steve the Cookout
1: Coach, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Let's start the game! Let's go!
0: We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure you say whatever? We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh, should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea.
2: Show. This is a show that talks about all things important to the world of barbecue and grilling. We broadcast live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rippy. Happy to have you again on your New Year's Eve. Sharing it with us here. Certainly appreciate it. This is typically where I give you the contact info for the show. However, not tonight. It is a different kind of show. In fact, I'm going to pull the curtain directly aside at this very moment and let you know that this entire show, as I told you last week, well, maybe I didn't tell you last week, I told you there wasn't going to be a new show. So I guess. To a certain degree, I haven't kept up my end of the bargain. This is going to be a new show. However, I do want to point out the fact that this is a portion of it is pre recorded. This particular portion is pre recorded. The very end of the show will be pre recorded. And here's the theme of the show I got into the trusted circle of knowledge, and we talked about some of the better segments on the show and figured I would do a video and audio montage isn't the right word because that would perhaps make you assume that I was going to be throwing together 20 or 30 clips, but I didn't do that. So here's how the format is going to break out tonight. We're probably going to be into that 2-hour and 20-minute stretch. So again, a little extra bonus content if you are in that kind of a mood this evening. I know it's a little different than it was last week where we were – uh, doing a Christmas Eve, now it's New Year's Eve, a lot more partying going on instead of wrapping gifts and getting ready for Santa Claus to pop down the chimney or whatever it is that you celebrate. This is New Year's Eve, so perhaps a lot of you are already heading out the door to get in your ball drops. It sounds weird when you say it out loud, you got to be honest. So here's how the show breaks out. First up, coming up right after I get done talking to nobody tonight because I'm pre-recording this. I have one of I think it's 5 or 6 interview segments. All the way almost a year ago at the end of January I talked with the one and only Susie Bullock from Hay Grill Hay. I'm going to give you a part 2 of our two part interview that we did with her. So we'll catch the second part of that January segment. Then we will transition over to the 2019 Memphis and May World Champion Tuffy Stone, the pitmaster of cool smoke and I will share that conversation that I had with you. That's one segment. Then we will hit up one of my favorite new interviews of 2019. That's burger expert, burger wizard, widely considered to be the country and perhaps the world's foremost authority on everything that has to do with the hamburger and any other, uh, any other associated burger. George Moats will be on after Tuffy. Then we will segue out of George Moats and go right into one of my favorite interviews whenever she shows up. Danielle Bennett, uh, Diva Q, if you may know her. She was on television this year. She did a bunch of Traeger classes this year. I pulled her out of a dinner that she was having with a bunch of her barbecue mates down in Texas when we had this interview later in the year, 2019. And we talked a bit about that. We also talked about her uh, travels of 2019, things that we were up to together. And it was a great interview. And then we will close it out tonight with an interview uh, with the pitmaster of Sugar's Barbecue, Lene Oxley-Loop. And Lene made her reappearance in the Barbecue Central show Jungle in 2019 uh, towards the end of the year. And, uh, well, I guess it was summertime-esque, August, I think it was. Maybe early September. But Lene's a great, uh, great energy, great knowledge, a lot of confidence, bringing the right stuff. Love to have her on the show, and I wanted to reshare that interview with her as well. So I believe I have it correct in my mental banks. Susie Bullock first, then Tuffy, then George, then Diva, then Lene. You may notice, heavily lady-driven in 2019. That's right. <laughs> Very happy that we had a, a great diversity of—this is going to sound weird when I say it— a great diversity of sex on the show. What? I said a great diversity of sex on the show. That's right. I said that. But great interviews all together as I string them along. So I don't want to waste any more time blabbering here in the open. Uh, stay tuned for Suzy Bullock of Hey Grill Hay, followed by Tuffy, followed by George Motes, followed by DVQ, followed by Lene. You'll see me at the end closing it out, wishing you a happy new year. Enjoy this show, the last one of 2019. We are talking with Susie Bullock from Hey Grill Hey. Thanks for hanging with me through the break there, Susie. (laughs) You betcha. Uh, Here's a question. As the success starts to ramp up, money starts to generate, at what point did you and Todd, your husband, decide that he should stop being the CPA and be part of the HGH team full-time? And Uh. uh, like doing... The hey, grow, hey, full-time. You and Todd have to be around each other like all the time, right? Yeah. Okay, so I have another follow-up.
3: Actually, we're never more than like six feet away. Great, perfect.
2: (laughs) Uh, I have a great follow-up question uh, to do. So when do you guys decide that it is, I guess, an okay idea for Todd to leave probably what is a uh, fairly lucrative and fairly stable gig? Uh,
3: I told him on New Year's Eve 2016 I said, 2017 is our year, and you're quitting your job. Hmm. And this is when I was maybe, maybe making like 500 a month from my website. <laughs> and he was like, "No, no, you but can't like, do, thanks. you
2: can't live on 500 a month." I mean, what's it up? Was
3: like a really nice <laughs> offer for a job, but I'm gonna have to pass. Yeah. Uh, but I was determined, and I hustled all that year. And that's when we first started kind of catching our breaks in terms of really utilizing the video strategies on social media. Um, And the videos were great because they drove a lot of traffic, right? Um, But if anybody's been in social media for a long time, you kind of know that virals are short lived. Uh, We have a really short attention span as social content consumers. And so you have this really fantastic viral and then it dies. And then maybe you're lucky and you get another really fantastic viral and then it dies. And so we were really struggling to find the consistency and the income that we needed. Uh, But just a couple months after that, we were really lucky to lock down a sponsorship with a company that we absolutely loved. um, And it's Camp Chef. And so they actually wanted to work with us for an entire year, Mm. which was like, it's very unusual (laughs) to have a year long sponsorship. But Our relationship was really great and we already had a great um, relationship just because I liked their products a lot. Mm -hmm. And so we set up a a sponsorship and so we knew for like a year, okay, this is what our minimum income is going to be, right? Was it enough for us to live on? Absolutely not. But was it great to have like a supplementary thing that we could actually count on? Yeah. Yes. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is a great thing and I can build on this. And um, then we started to experience like these really jumps in viral traffic. And then we noticed when they went back down, they started to go back down lower and then they would rebound a lot faster. And during that time, I also really started to focus on Google traffic. Like how can I get people that are Googling something to end up on our website, right? And it was a lot of work. (laughs) We've been working on our SEO traffic for, well over a year we started in 2017 and um if you google right now smoked prime rib we have two results on the first page we're number one for smoking ribs we're number one for smoked pork shoulder and smoked pork butt and smoked pulled pork for one post um and so being able to kind of turn up organically when people are searching for resources for barbecue All that did was fulfill exactly what I wanted to do when I started this, right? Was I wanted to give the backyard cooks the resource that I didn't necessarily have when I first started. I had to go to books and I had to buy books and I had to read and research. And so I wanted to create a resource for people online where they could find something that would help them feed people and get that same like, giant eyeball experience that I would get serving people steaks at my family's restaurants. And so that really, really helped bolster like our monthly income because we had recurring visitors coming back over and over and over again. So we got about halfway through the year and Todd was like, oh, you might actually be able to do this. (laughs) And so he went and talked to his boss he was like, hey, Susie's got this thing and she really wants me to quit my job and I think she could make it work. And his boss told him to burn the bridges. Hmm. He's like, we'll be here as long as you need us to, but like, if you are feel called to go, you should go. So he worked for six more months. Our goal was to have, I had replaced his income in that six months. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> so our goal was to have at least six months saved up um, when he quit his job so that we could survive if things went real far south. Yeah. Uh, and so we took the leap in December. So that year he quit his job. It was the last month of the year, but gosh, darn it. I made it. And <laughs> I told him that we would. Uh, so he quit his job and yeah, we've been working together for just over a full year now.
2: Susie awesome. Joining me here on the show. So, I mean, let's talk about that for a second. You guys are around each other all the time and look, I get it. You're married. There's love, you guys are parents, there's you know a commitment there as well, I get all that. But let's be honest, there isn't any division between work life and home life since it's all together. So yeah. how do you make it work and do it in a healthy way?
3: I think the best thing is that we are incredibly compatible. So we don't argue, um, we both are able to kind of accept critique really well. But I will say the first probably three or four months were the hardest because he had quit his job and we were still really trying to figure out the division of responsibilities. Like, okay, these are all the things that I've been doing up to this point. And if we want to take this to the next level, like I need help. I've done as much as I can do on my own. He was helping me edit videos up to that point. But in terms of all the other social media, the content creation, it was on my shoulders. And so how can we, keep that so that I can still develop recipes, which is what I'm passionate about and good at, but the site can still continue to grow. And so just figuring out what he was good at in this space and how he could contribute and how he could have his own things, that was the hardest part, but we've really like settled into our niche and he's taken on a lot, especially this year as we're launching a full product line, Mm -hmm. he's spearheading that entire thing and he's actually launched it as its own complete like business. So that's been really fantastic. And I think the craziest thing when it comes to like work-life separation is that we just don't have one and we're not super (laughs) sad about it. (laughs) Like, I think it's really easy to hit burnout and hit overwhelm, um, but we're lucky because we really, really, really love what we do. And we feel freaking blessed every single day. Who gets to make a living writing recipes about barbecue? Right? Like that's like, that's the craziest thing. And if I could have been a child and somebody had asked me like, what do you wanna do in your future? I wouldn't have said this, but if I had known it was possible, I sure would have picked it. Like this is, so anyway, we just have a lot of gratitude and we're grateful every single day. We're grateful that people still continue to come to our site and use our recipes, that they share pictures of our recipes that they've cooked on the internet. um, And that they share these experiences with their family. So anyway, we're really lucky. We love it.
2: Another way that you're generating or adding another revenue stream is, and I see, I don't know if it's a lot of websites or a lot of content creators, but I know a a few, and, and now I can add you as a new one to the list, is doing these exclusive groups. You pay X amount per month or per year, depending on how you have it set up, you get bonus content. So. You have something called the grill squad. And if you just want to talk about that for a couple minutes, um, what's my ROI as a squad member?
3: So the grill squad is kind of awesome. And it's probably our favorite place on the internet that exists even like (laughs) beyond our website. Luckily our website is like the vehicle to get people there. Um, But the grill squad is, I mean, I'll I'll tell you what it includes like being a member, right? So it's 50 bucks for a year. Um, And you have unlimited access to my meat master classes. So this is two hours of video footage where you're essentially in my kitchen with me. And I show you step-by-step how I prep brisket, how I do pulled pork, how I do smoked chicken, and how I do ribs. And I don't just show you a recipe or give you like a pretty picture and then a printable recipe. This is very much hands-on. Through the trimming process, you get close-up shots. You see how everything's supposed to look. You see how I use my knives, how we smoke, what kind of wood we use, what temperatures we're shooting for, Um, all of these little details. And each of these videos comes with a printable workbook. And each of the workbooks has a log where you can track your cooks every time. So it's like your own barbecue journal. And those are kind of the heart of the grill squad. So you have unlimited access to those videos. We also have a private Facebook group, which is amazing. We have, um, you get kind of this exclusive access to the website. So if you're one that has booked, like bookmarked my site and come back for recipes over and over again, you know that there's ads, that's how we monetize, that's how we support our family and our business. Um, But if you're a member of the Grill Squad, they're gone. So you have no ads anywhere on our website, which is kind of cool. It's like paying for Netflix, right? You get this premium viewing experience. Um, we also do a discount for all Grill Squad members, and right now it's on all of our products. Oh, Todd brought in. So we um, just launched this year. We have a barbecue seasoning line, and mm-hmm. we have sauces. We're running some custom butcher paper that'll be out soon. We have shirts, hats, um, and we're going to continue to add products to our store all year long. And so you have exclusive discounts on all of our store products. We do monthly giveaways for members. You're automatically entered to win. They're a thousand bucks. You get both of my ebooks. So, I've created two ebooks um, with recipes that don't exist on the website. You hmm. get both of those for free when you're a member, and we do podcast interviews that aren't released anywhere else you're doing and you you're, get early access to all the podcasts you're
2: doing podcasts too
3: uh, not that we haven't released any of them to the public
2: Just exclusive for the grill squad members
3: yep Are we're you- starting so they've had exclusive access to those for. Seven months, so we're starting to roll out some of the earlier ones to the public, but the Grill Squad will continue to get exclusive access before anyone else can hear them.
2: So, like, what are the big names that you're podcasting?
3: We have interviewed um, Christy Vanover. She was our most recent from Girls Can Grill. She just took first place in chicken at Slaborama.
1: Yes, w- using your
3: chicken was,
2: rub, by the way. <laughs> yes,
3: yeah, she was using yeah. my chicken rub. Shout out <laughs> to
2: Christy. Good <laughs> job. Awesome. Nice. Oh,
3: Christy. <laughs> and it was her birthday. I love Christy. Right. Um, we have interviewed Jared Standing from Standing's Butchery. We've interviewed uh, Christian Stevenson, DJ Barbecue. We have interviewed... I'm trying to run through my list of people that we've interviewed. Oh, Susie Felton from Felton Angus Beef. We've talked to the guys at Bacon's Air who do the pork panko products. Um, So, yeah, it's been really fun. All
2: right. If you need any context, I mean, I've kind of interviewed everybody. (laughs) Um, Let's talk quickly about a recipe. Um, Well, you know what? Let me back up just for one second. If we have to go a little bit long, we can go a little bit long. Okay. You had mentioned rubs and sauces. I have to ask you this because... Every time I talk to people about sauces and rubs, this is the question that I love to get answers on. Actually, I was just talking to a guy. I've started a barbecue documentary. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, Dion Blumenrader. He's just a listener of the show. He's starting to bring his sauce to market, so I'm tracking him once a quarter. He's coming in. We're starting right from ground zero, and we're going to track him over the course of the year and see how it goes. But here's my question to you as it was to him last week. You know, Ten years ago, I would say, Susie, you got to get a sauce and a rub to market because it's hot right now. Fast forward to 10 years and I'm saying, Susie, why in the hell would you bring a sauce (laughs) and a rub to market? Because you can go into groceries, grocery stores, national grocery store chains and have an aisle or an aisle a half of barbecue and grilling related products. And it seems like there's the potential for more noise than being able to stand out. So how, I guess, A, was that a concern and how are you differentiating yourself from all of the other stuff?
3: So we have a couple of things. Uh, We initially got into rubs and sauces because our readers asked us, hey, we love your recipes. We would love the convenience of being able to have a pre-made sauce or a Mm pre-mixed rub Mm -hmm. on our shelves that we can pull out and use, right? So up until this point, everything that we have done on the website in terms of recipes for people have been free. Anyone can access them at any time. There's no paid window unless you want to join the grill squad and have no ads, right? Mm -hmm. But even they can access any of the recipes anytime they want. And we have rub recipes. We have sauce recipes. We've even bottled the sauces that are on our website. Um, We've adapted them a little bit so that they can stand up to the bottling process better. Like, you know, there's things with pH and things with clumping. And so we've had to adapt them for um, the retail space, but honestly, we made them because people asked us for them. Hmm. And we figure amidst all the noise, amidst all the products that are available, if people still want our product, we'd be pretty stupid not to give them (laughs) the products that they're asking for, right? Uh, And so it's definitely been... It was, it was not an easy decision to make. It's one that we've talked about for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we felt like we could definitely offer something unique to the space in the way that we were doing our products. And I am sure that you're familiar with sauces that are on the market right now, but a lot of them are supplemented with liquid smoke products. Um, and man, we just did not want to go there. Heard that. So each of our sauces are specifically designed to complement smoked meat Not to give regular meat smoked flavor. Yeah. Does that make sense? Um, And so they're not augmented with artificial smoke flavor. They're really like true to the flavors that they represent on the bottle. And they're really delicious. (laughs) And I very much love them. Uh, There's no like high fructose corn syrup. There's no fillers. We really are proud of the products that we've created. And I'm really excited to put my name on the bottle um, because it's something that I I don't know i wanted to give to the people that asked for it and i wanted to give it to them in the best way possible so from everything from like sourcing the shape of the bottles (laughs) to um to the way that we were producing them were was very intentional and very thought out and for us it's less about turning this into like a massive money-making business right for us it's about serving the people that are loyal to us and serving the people that come to our page and serving our followers that are Excited about the stuff that we're doing. That was the biggest driver.
2: Can I get a quick recipe from you? Sure. Balls of fire.
3: (laughs) I did not name them that, by the
2: way. Shout out to me. (laughs) I think that actually might have been been my buddy Stover that said balls of fire. But these are like uh, meatballs, but they're also got jalapeno and they have cheddar cheese and they have some bacon. So talk to me a little bit about that.
3: Uh, So this was a recipe that I actually wrote almost two years ago. This was like pre-video. So I had developed this recipe and loved this recipe and wanted to share this recipe. And so I did uh, in like a picture form, right? And every time I would share the picture on social media, it would go nuts. People Mm. love it. And I finally thought it was time to make a video. So we made a video just a couple of weeks ago and this was kind of very intentional like pre-Super Bowl food. Mm -hmm. Like we want this video to hit when people are thinking about like Finger food, party food, something you can throw on a stick and just enjoy. And they are every bit as delicious as they sound. So they're beef meatballs, 100% beef meatballs. They're, like, mixed in with cheddar cheese and jalapenos. They're bacon-wrapped and slow-smoked. So all that awesome fat renders out of the bacon. And then they're brushed with whatever your favorite barbecue sauce is. I used my apple jalapeno barbecue sauce. And they're freaking awesome.
2: And a great, super uh, big game food. I don't want to get sued. Oh,
3: yeah. We can't say that <laughs> word.
2: Great soup or bowl food.
3: There it is. Right. That's what I said, too.
2: Oh, you said soup or bowl?
3: I did. Yeah. All right. In case anybody goes back, <laughs> double check it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. We want to make sure we're both not sued. <laughs> um, Susie, uh, you want to do a lightning round before I let you go?
3: Sure. Of course
2: you do. Here we go. I'm going to ask you some questions, just the answer right off the top of your head. There's no right or wrong answer. Ready? Yeah. True or false, searing seals in the juices.
3: Um, true. No! Searing doesn't seal in the juices! Well, I did wait and do it at the end. Is, I reversed
2: here. We're going to have to have a conversation offline. Next question. You yes. said there
3: was no wrong answer, and then you did. I, I
2: know, but don't you know I live in hypocrisy all the time? That's part of the show. <laughs> yes or no, I still have the first barbecue pit I ever owned. Um, yes. Let it rest or let's eat? Let it rest. Radio or podcast? Mm, podcast. Bourbon or gin? Sober. Oh well, that's... I've never
3: had a sip of alcohol in my life.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. So old-fashioned or Sazerac is probably out of the. <laughs> I just uh, I just quit drinking myself uh, over a year and a half ago. Beef brisket or pork ribs?
3: Oh, brisket.
2: Guy Fieri or Bobby Flay?
3: Ooh, <laughs> Guy Fieri.
2: Ina Garten or Reed Drummond? Ina, of course. Open pit Ina. or Sweet Baby Ray's.
3: Open pit. No! I don't even know what that question was.
2: That's a barbecue sauce recipe. Or that's a barbecue sauce question. You don't know.
3: I have never heard of open pit in my life, but it sounded bad. It sounded great.
2: You know, let me tell you something. Uh, I do have a hidden agenda when it comes to the open pit sweet baby race. I have no idea. And if this is totally over your head since you don't really know what it is, but I have no idea how a human being can open up open pit barbecue sauce See its fluorescent orange color.
3: I've and seriously never seen it. Is it like in grocery stores? I've yes, never even heard of it.
2: Widely available. It's got this really bad blue <laughs> wrapper on it. I mean, you've never seen it because once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's how oh weird. Oh my it gosh! Is. And I'm pretty sure that if it touches man, your skin, their
3: name is good.
2: yeah, it's a great name. But that's a um, great name. It, it, it probably stains your skin orange too. Like that's how much I feel strongly against it. And I, and I try and set up my man, Sweet Baby Ray, but everybody picks open pit. So
3: I don't even have you know. anything against Sweet Baby Rays.
2: I love Sweet Baby Rays. <laughs> that's <laughs> why I'm saying it's a set up question. Nevertheless, if you want to check out Susie, you go to heygrillhay.com. You follow her on <laughs> all the social media. Follow
3: me now. Well, I don't even know what open pit is, and I don't know how to sear things.
2: Right. Well, that's okay. We'll we'll win everybody <laughs> back. Yeah, please. So uh, again, heygrillhay.com is the website. And uh, Susie, I'm hoping you had a good time. Enough for maybe you could actually come back and we could really <laughs> talk a lot more about food and stuff. But I thought this was a great yeah. story.
3: I like talking about food.
2: All right. Well, uh, once again, it's Susie Bullock. Hey, Grill, Hey, got... To- uh, hey, Grill, Hey, got... <laughs> hey, Grill, dot com, slowly. And we will look okay. for you again, uh, maybe in a month or two or three or whenever it fits in your schedule.
3: Sweet. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun.
2: Susie, thanks so much. There she is. (laughs) Susie Bullock. Hey, Grill. Hey. My My next guest, one of the most recognizable faces in barbecue. You see him on TV in his restaurants, writing books, competition trail. This past weekend, you might have seen him in Memphis, Tennessee, winning not only the world title in Pork Shoulder, but added Memphis and May overall grand champ as well. His first overall MIM title, by the way. So let's go ahead and race to the Fogo charcoal hotline. And welcome back the pitmaster of Cool Smoke, Barbecue Hall of Famer Tuffy Stone joins me here on the show. Tuffy, how are you, buddy? Hey, Greg,
4: I'm doing well. How are you?
2: Absolutely fabulous. Probably not doing any better than you are, though, given the events of this past (laughs) weekend, no doubt about it. So did you spend all of the winnings that night that you put on Instagram? (laughs)
4: <laughs> we tried. We put a dent in it, but we uh we, we were we were all moving a little slow, so we uh we went to bed early. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to spend some more time working on that.
2: So let's start with this past weekend, Tuffy, knocking down two world titles, pork shoulder to get into the final and then overall world champ. You certainly aren't new to this particular event, that being Memphis in May, and it's truly a one of a kind competition. So do you prepare for this particular event any differently than you would if you were going to a KCBS contest or a Houston contest or something other than a Memphis contest?
4: Absolutely. Um, with Memphis in May, there's uh, a lot. I I have to bring a lot more equipment. So we have to we have to set up. Uh, we bring we rent tents and tables and chairs and flooring. Our, our, our site's pretty modest in comparison to some of the uh, elaborate double-deckers down there, but um, so we have to coordinate the rentals, and then it's a matter of we you have to present your, in this case, I'm cooking whole shoulders, so I've got to have enough pit capacity where I can show the judges a whole shoulder on my pit, but I need to have a second pit because I'm cooking eight shoulders, so there's there's that to deal with. There's platters, there's linens and and, and tables for the judges to sit at. So there's a lot of those kind of elements that are completely different uh, than when I go cook a a Kansas City Barbecue Society contest or Houston Livestock Radio Show or something like that.
2: Does your catering background help at all as far as getting that whole thing set up and acclimating yourself?
4: Uh, Absolutely. I think, honestly speaking, I think uh, my catering background has helped me uh, just in competition as a whole because I'm, I'm so used to cooking in makeshift kitchens and having the elements to deal with and 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 so I believe that's helped me just not only from the um, setup for the presentation of Memphis and a but just as a cook as a whole but and then my wife Leslie she is so amazing we we create pack list and um, and work on you know we work on pulling this together for probably a couple of weeks and and we have tubs and platters and toppers and you know you name it napkins and so the the catering part certainly makes the presentation part of uh, Memphis Mail a lot more easy. From
2: a pork shoulder standpoint, obviously you are uh, uh, affiliated with Smithfield. Uh, they obviously sponsor this show, so it's obviously Smithfield shoulders going on. Do you have a particular I know they have a couple different lines of shoulders uh, which ones did you use and what did you win with
4: Well and so I my I'm a big fan of the 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 prime which is uh in the process of changing to a, a, an all natural line but uh it's not enhanced at all all of the shoulders that I had I cooked eight shoulders they were all uh 25 pounders or thereabouts they were really close to 25 pounds before I, I did a little trim work to them. They were beautiful. The, the marbling in these these uh, Smithfield shoulders was was really really great. And, and you know as well as I do, when we're cooking long cooked meats like the, you know ribs or shoulders or uh, you know any big cuts, the more marbling that's in there, the better. And so I had I, I was really happy with my product. It was about from the, from the kill date to the date that I cooked it, it was about thirteen, fourteen days old, oh, wow. uh, which is perfect for me. I, I like uh, I like my shoulders to 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 have aged that that amount of time before I cook on it.
3: <laughs> and
4: so, and I tell people all the time when I get to a contest, I come with sharp knives, uh, good wood, clean pit, fresh rubs, good sauce, and great meat, and and just hoping that you have all the things. You can, hopefully you get there with all the things that you would need to uh, stand a chance in doing well and 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 these shoulders were just beautiful
2: have you come to learn that eight shoulders is what you need or is that just what you're supposed to cook
4: no so uh, you know i I, you need you need a whole shoulder for each on-site judge for the preliminary so there's three um you need I, I like to have options, so I I cook eight. I stagger cook two, um, in hopes that we make finals. Well, uh, if we don't make finals, we don't have any any use for the 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 two that we stagger cook. And I've I've been fortunate and needed those shoulders, and I've also cooked those shoulders and not made finals, and and then it just becomes uh, food that you take home. But so I will typically have three for the preliminaries two choices for if we make finals, so that's five. And then I'll have three that I can potentially work, uh, work off of for um, for the blind box. And and sometimes I will get into just two for the blind box. Sometimes I'll, I'll get into three for the blind box. I've got lots of sayings, as you know. One of my sayings is it's better to be looking at it than looking for it. And nice. So I like to have choices. Jamie made me a really beautiful double-barrel. uh uh, jambo and that's a 30 inch diameter pipe on each side and i'm able to comfortably put well. that's a tight squeeze but i can put four nice whole shoulders on each side
2: so you end up finaling in shoulder along with your pal chris (laughs) lilly of big bob gibson's uh no uh no news to you but nobody's won memphis in may more than that guy of course it has to feel great to get over the hump and have a sniff at finals uh, instead of you know being a, a bridesmaid and shoulder again.
4: You know, I was uh, we, we we every every year we there's always a, a bump in the road in your cook and I you know another one of my sayings is it's all and how you handle catastrophes and you know we had a couple of uh, situations that we had to sort through and our shoulders we we ended up having to push the heat up on them. Mm-hmm that morning and that's that's for me that's not the preferable way to cook a whole shoulder because where that joint is at the point and in the butt if it gets too hot it'll it'll pop on you it doesn't make for a very nice presentation but we had to push the heat up on these and and kind of sort through that and then we, we built a blind box I felt like that was uh I felt like that was pretty what's interesting is is my Memphis MA presentation is not is uh as uh, composed or as fanciful as I would do for Kansas City Barbecue Society. So I always kinda like look at that box and say, but it could be so much prettier. <laughs> um but I but I tone it down for that. And so we did that and, and my first my first preliminary on site, I'm usually I tend to be a little clunky on the first one and then by the second and the third I get smoother. And we did that, and then it was crazy. I had to drive across to West Memphis after that and, and pick up a trailer that I had purchased. Mm-hmm. And so we dealt with that. We came back across the river, and we were waiting, and we were waiting, and we were waiting. And it's a long wait. And all of a sudden, we hear the roar of uh, team of uh, Big Bob Gibson's because there's one spot between us and them. And, and they're cheering, and it's energetic. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> they, they made finals. And, and I hope we made finals. And and one of the ambassadors there was so great. She got over to us, like, you know, less than a minute later. We had made finals, too. And anybody that knows me knows uh, I, I kind of get emotional with that stuff. So we were the team. We were all just, you know, very enthusiastic and, and happy to you know, make it finals. And and for me, making finals at Memphis and May, you know, having started in KCBS and, and then, you know, eventually trying, you know, giving a go at, at uh, Memphis and May, um, I'm just, I'm happy if I get any kind of trophy, doesn't matter what size it is. And, uh, so making finals, you know, you could at least be third. And I, you know, I was like, I, we got in the zone. We had a great, you know, everybody that was, uh, that was on the teams cooked with us in the past. And we, we did a much better job this year, Greg, of, of, of organizing responsibilities and, and we just went into motion and I was, I was kind of getting in the zone i I tell sterling ball this all the time i whenever I have a chance to win a, a world championship uh, or not win to, to, whenever I have a chance to cook a world championship, I always just kind of like get in this zone and and try and just be you know trying to just have my best cook ever and, and and control the things that I can control and so I was thinking about this presentation and and just knowing how important it was going to be in addition to the beautiful Smithfield shoulders I, I had to be on point and so they got there and and it just flowed and and and, and the team did great and 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 when and, and here's something I didn't know Greg so we had to we had to be the first shoulder to be judged and 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 in KCBS historically back in the old days you, we always wanted a high number on our box in kcbs because if you had a high number they used to judge them numerically uh in numerical order and and so if you had a high number it was always a good chance that your food was going to be judged last and that was the way we always wanted to be in kcbs right. and and so when i was being judged first I was like oh man why this isn't good but <laughs> i found out later that day that when you're ju- they judge, so we had the best shoulder score going uh, coming out of preliminaries, and I didn't know that, and that's why we were being judged first. <laughs> but Red Hot Smokers is an amazing shoulder cook, and then like you said, with Chris Lilly, it goes without saying. I mean, he is he. I have so much respect for him as a pit master. He's and, and I actually he posted a picture or somebody posted a picture of his shoulder on Instagram, and I looked at that shoulder, and I like my gosh, that is one <laughs> beautiful shoulder. <laughs> So I was like, um, you know, I was just like, it's going to be tough for us to to, to 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 take this, and and we did we 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 did our best, and then off to the worst, we we eventually went, and uh, it was it was it was uh, it was a an amazing day. Tough
2: Stone joining me, recapping the big win over at Memphis and May this past weekend. Uh, Tuffy, I've asked this question a number of times to folks that are in Memphis and May, and and they have that status. So I mean, when you are who you are, TV exposure, successful author, uh, successful restaurateur, uh, few in barbecue rival your recognizability. So when it comes to the on-site judging portion of this, do you see your status as something that you need to overcome? or do you see it as something that actually might give you an advantage to some degree
4: well i i i have felt in years past that it it probably hurt me in a couple of situations um uh, i had i've i've had anyways so i don't know i did not i did not know the judges um the finals judges and 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 I had someone tell me that they were um, they were they were all I knew they were all really experienced judges because you know you know, you know they will have something that they wear that you know, makes you realize that they've been doing this for a while. But I was told that uh, uh, that they were very experienced judges, and and I just um, I I just always go into my presentation um, like. Like, I I don't know, I just I always just try and be very humble and very like, you don't know who I am. And, and, and I'm going to introduce you to me and my team and where we're from and how we cook this food that we're serving you. and 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 here's all my thoughts on my rub and my sauce and my pit and the selection of my pork and the wood that I use and why. And I just I just kind of go through it that way. You know, the, at the end of the day, uh, just to get the finals, you got to win blind box. Yeah. If you don't win blind box, you're not you're not going anywhere. And you know, I think I've cooked. I think I've cooked Memphis and now nine times. I think I've made finals five times, and this is the first time that we ever won it. So, um, so to answer your question, uh, I don't know. I just uh, I don't. And I, and I I still feel like I'm a newbie in Memphis and May, to be honest. With you. It's like I've cooked the five times. But, you know, so many of my buds down there, I mean, Chris Lilly and Myron and Melissa and, and, and Pat Burke and Mike mm-hmm. Mills, and, and, and this list is just so long. Uh, I mean, Pat Burke cooked his 30th straight Memphis and <laughs> May this weekend. I mean, 30 years. Wow. I mean, it's incredible. So I, I don't... Uh, I, I don't think it helped. I don't think it helped me. And, and you know, and, and my what I know about all the judges that I get to talk to, all the judges that I know and or, or have met, they're really focused on trying to uh, award the best food uh, that I, I, what I love about Memphis MA is it is comparative judging. And they can they can really take their time. And, and 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 golly the the point spread between uh cool smoke and big bob Gibson's was so small i mean it was it was it was just it was so small so i I feel really blessed that that uh we that we got to uh to walk the stage and and then and then when we were up there and we were getting ready to call brand i was greg i was i was tripping out i was like I was like man. There's no way we're gonna win this thing. There's no way. And, and then they called us, and 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 it was uh, it was unbelievable. But you know, these the I, I said this on the stage. There were so many of my mentors and and, and friends that are just tremendous pitmasters. You know, and Chris Lilly. I mean, what he can what he can pull out of a shoulder. Uh, is just, he's brilliant. It's, he's just brilliant. And, and, and I don't know how many, I don't know how many of those trophies he has, Greg, but he's got a whole bunch of them.
2: Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, when you can get a shipment of pork shoulders frozen and still end up winning Memphis, still win shoulder and still win Memphis and May in the same year uh, overall, I mean, you're certainly doing something right, no doubt about it. And we're talking with Tuffy Stone, the 2019 Memphis and May overall world champ. All right. So, uh, Here's a quick list, if you aren't familiar with some of these. Let me refresh your memory here, Tuffy. You've won the Jack three different times, 13 and then back-to-back, 15 and 16. you won both sides of the American Royal, the Open in 14 and the Invitational side on 13. You won the 2015 Kingsford Invitational. You've also garnered the 2012 Gary Wells Sportsmanship of the Year Award. And, of course, I think kind of where we first met, the 2007 KCBS Team of the Year, Quite an esteemed, accomplished list that most pit masters would be highly sought after to accomplish during whatever cooking career they have. Do any of these stand out over and above the rest for any reason?
4: Well, first of all, you can't see me right now, but my face is really red. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you um, won them, so I mean, you did it. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to tell you um, the most. It was. There's been so many amazing, beautiful things that I've been able to have to go through in, in, in competition barbecue, and, and 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 every one of those things that you just mentioned has a story, and I got to do them with my father and friends, and but if I had to pick one out of all those things that 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 made me uh, that touched my heart. Um, and it was so funny. It was so uneventful. One day I opened a package at work and it was the Gary Wells uh, Sportsmanship Award. And there was no fanfare. There was no, it just came in the mail and, and that really touched my heart a lot. So if I got to, if I got to pick one out of, of that, out of that amazing list that you just uh, read uh that that's the one that's most meaningful
2: yeah and you know what that doesn't surprise me one bit i mean we, we we've we talked a lot over the years about winning this competition or that competition but i don't know if it largely just kind of goes unnoticed or if you really got to start digging through what about tuffy stone or or what have you won and that one shows up and as i was prepping for this interview i'm like man i'm gonna ask this question but i guarantee it's really not the contest it's getting recognized for being a great human being. And we all know what the sportsmanship award is all about. So, um, uh, I figured that probably was going to be the one that uh, might stand a little <laughs> bit head and shoulders above the rest. Here. It,
4: was, it was just such a funny moment. It was like, and it touched me. And, and of course you and everybody else probably know how emotional I get, but, you know, those boxes came in the mail and I opened <laughs> it up and there it was. And I just, uh, I had a tear to the eye because it was, it was so sweet that people, uh, I felt that way and and so anyways, but it was it was you know, you know, you think about the Jack or the Royal or or Memphis and Mayor, all these things and there's usually like lots of energy about the people and excitement. Here it was just this private moment of me at my desk and it was it was sweet. Uh,
2: what does the rest of the twenty nineteen schedule look like for competition?
4: Well, so you know, some of the things I've been doing this the last year or so, this really per- bringing me so much joy is i'm I'm doing festivals where I'm cooking for people that I can see their faces when they eat it, and that's just mm-hmm. making me so happy and I did south beach uh food and wine I did charleston wine and food and uh I got to cook for the troops uh with stretch and the mess lords uh and that you know being a former jarhead that yep. uh that that's been so meaningful for me so I want to do more of those kinds of things. I did. Uh, I am, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna be taking pictures. But I, I, I finally got a porch trailer. I had to retire the RV. had 175,000 barbecue miles on it, <laughs> and so I've got this porch trailer that I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna fix up and do some work on it. I'm gonna put uh, a Jambo enclosed model that I've had for a very long time on there. And I would have told you before Saturday that if I could cook, uh, anyways. Uh, I'm getting, you know, winning Memphis in May, I'm, I'm I'm now an automatic for the Jack. So I get to go down to the, uh, you know, we get to go to the Royal, I mean, the Jack again. And I'm super excited about that. I am doing the Washington DC contest, which is a contest that I love. And I do some demos there. My dad enjoys doing competition barbecue so much that to, you know, he'll, he'll be 79 in December. And I think this, this new porch trailer uh, hopefully, we'll make it uh, easier for him. So we'll we'll pepper in some some competition barbecue. But I'm really enjoying the. Fe- oh, I'm working. Oh, I'm working on a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> you're the first. You're the first. Uh, uh, this is. I haven't talked about this with to, to any type of media or anything, but. I'm working on a new restaurant uh with with my wife and and my partner Josh and I'm 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 excited about that. It's going to have a market and a restaurant. You're you're the first Greg so there you go. You heard it first on on your show. But that's going to hopefully open in uh, uh probably looking early fall now. So uh, that's 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 going to have some cool stuff going on. It's going to have a market with a little meat section in the back and we're going to have a wood burning grill and a wood burning oven we're going to do some wow. Some fun stuff. So anyways, I'm I'm always I always got something that I'm working on. Man, busy. I can't thank you enough for having me on your show, man. It's like I was just rehashing this with you. Me and everybody on the team, I think we still feel like we're we're kind of in a dream. Uh, and this didn't really happen. So being being on your show kinda of like Maybe maybe it did happen.
2: Yeah, it's always good to relive it and then re-soak it in, let it soak in over the course of the week, and uh it certainly will will feel like a, a nice new suit come uh, the beginning of next week, no doubt about it. And it's something that you can just put on the on the belt notch there and, and it's yours. You can't nobody can take it away now. You got twenty nineteen Memphis and May world champion and shoulder champion to go along with it. It's Tuffy Stone, the pit master of Cool Smoke. Tuffy, really appreciate the time catching up and letting us into this whole uh, look back. Really appreciate
4: it. I appreciate you so much. I appreciate all the things you do for barbecue, and thanks for having me again.
2: You got it. There he is, Tuffy Stone. (laughs) Your 2019 Memphis and May World of the Food Film Festival, the author of the Travel Guide Hamburger America, the great American burger book. Was hailed by the New York Times as the leading authority on hamburgers. He also hosted and produced Burgerland and hosted Made in America. We go ahead and race to the hotline and welcome first-timer to the show, George Moats. George, how are you, pal? Hey, how you doing? I'm absolutely fabulous, George. Appreciate you making time for the show this evening and finally getting together here. I'm very excited to have you. And... Let's jump right into it. Are you really ready to punch the next person in the face who blames farting cows for global warming?
0: Uh, yes, because I think there's a wow. lot of misinformation about you know, global warming and, and how it relates to cows, for sure. I mean, I mean why wouldn't I? Is is
2: cow flatulence not uh, participating to the decreasing
0: of the ozone layer? I just made up a few words there, by the way. Well, those are good made-up words, but okay. yes, I do believe it could have a very small part. But I mean, to be—I mean, let's be honest. I mean, how can a cow's gas have anything? You know, up—how can up, how can it uh, battle the you know the, the emissions from an airplane or a car? I mean, come on. I don't know, <laughs> but
2: it seems like every time I go online, and obviously, given the theme of the show here, I do a lot of research about barbecue grilling, live fire in general. That lends itself to meat or beef in some form or fashion. And inevitably right. every week I'm seeing some new article where if it's not cow farts, it's cow burps or they're eating something or they're breathing <laughs> exactly harder right. than they were 15 years ago.
0: And we're all in for imminent death here in the next few weeks. Right. Well, yeah, I think the, the bottom line is that people, I mean, especially the media, loves to be able to use the hamburger as an example of what's killing us. At first it was, you know, obviously you shouldn't eat too many hamburgers to kill you, which is probably true. But now they're trying to battle, the, battle this by coming at, it, at us from the angle of, the, of the, the farting animal, which I think is also ridiculous. <laughs> and the hamburger, they're taking cheap shots at America's favorite food because they know they're going to get a lot of mileage out of it in the media.
2: Absolutely. George Motz joining us here on the show. Are you uh, also really working
0: on a musical about hamburgers? <laughs> I've been working on a musical about hamburgers for a long time. It takes a long time. Um, but I mean, it's still, that's still kind of a back burner thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like what's a long time, five, 10, 20 years that you're working on this
0: masterpiece? I've been working on this thing for probably about five years. And but I've, actually I've had meetings, I've taken meetings with agents. Really? So things are definitely going to happen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have a feeling that my hamburger restaurant is probably going to happen before, the hamburger musical for sure.
2: Now, uh, you know, I tip, I know a lot of people within the live fire industry and it just so happens. I am a close personal friend with uh, also another Emmy award winner, by the way, um, John Marcus, who is really into the whole live play and musical thing. So if there's ever an introduction that needs to be made, or maybe you and John hang out in the Upper West Side or whatever it is, but I can make that intro if you need to.
0: John's a good friend of mine. We've we've done events together. He's a great great guy. He's a great great like New York barbecue guy, which is very pretty unique in a way. All right,
2: so uh, (laughs) you are home based out of Brooklyn, New York, correct?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I live in Brooklyn.
2: All right. So, are you a born and bred New Yorker, or are you uh, transplanted from somewhere?
0: I grew up on Long Island. I grew up on Long Island, uh, Garden City, New York, (laughs) which is uh, you know not the most exciting town in the world, and I was excited to get the hell out of there, honestly. Um, but I've, I've done nothing but travel my entire life after leaving Garden City, for sure.
2: So as we kind of roll back here, I don't want to just assume everybody knows uh, how cool you are and uh, that you're the foremost burger authority. But uh, a young George Motes, uh, is a passion for burgers developing within you you know, as a youth that you can remember? Is it something that the family ate a lot of and you just kind of took a a shine to it or how does the the passion for burger develop otherwise
0: you know i just growing up on long island which was uh it was a bit singular it wasn't the most exciting place to grow up especially where i grew up um, and for me I, I think i dreamed about what it was like in the rest of the country and uh i'm one of the only people i know who got out of garden city hmm. and actually went and explored america and uh to me, i did it in a way that i was exploring like you know the foreign countries like exploring india and africa <laughs> i really took it very very seriously and I, I made a point to see every single state in the United States before I saw anything else in the world, and I did. I mean, at this point, I've gotten to forty-eight states, the fifty states. Um, I actually went to forty-eight of the forty-seven of those before I even went uh foreign shores. Hmm. Uh, well, so, what are the two that are remaining? There's still remaining states? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I've actually owned it down to. Uh, there's still two. No, there's one. It's just Alaska. It's the only one I haven't been to. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I conquered. I conquered North Dakota. Um about two years ago, I forgot about this so i I'm, I'm I'm actually at forty forty nine right now <laughs> all right forty nine
2: of the fifty u s states George has been through so i mean do you have a favorite one or is that like a favorite kid type of question
0: it's a, that's a, that's definitely a favorite kid kind of question because i really i have i see so much great in america i really do and i have when I get out there but i mean, i 've taken vacations that have nothing to do with you know research or work at all and just gone to you know burger destination just eat burgers and eat burgers and talk to people that was it. Um, I mean, if I would, I would say that, you know, people I think tend to call them the Flyover States. They they talk they talk about you know Iowa and Oklahoma and Ohio and Michigan. I uh, guess so Michigan so much, but um, there is there's so much to see and do there that people really can't believe it until they actually put set foot in the state and start exploring. You know, I really love I love Oklahoma. I love the I love the Midwest. There's so much real America there.
2: Have you been to Cleveland?
0: <laughs> been to Cleveland? Yes. I've been to the Rock and Roll Hall
2: of Fame. <laughs> you have guess who? Times. Guess yes. who hasn't been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Your humble host. No, come yes. on. <laughs> I live ten minutes away from the Rock and Roll. But here's the deal. Uh, I mean, everybody that I know, and it's been plenty of people now over the last, you know, however many years that's actually been up and running, that have come out and been like, "eh," and I'm like, "oh shit!" Like, I mean, why do? It's such a non-glowing review. It's like somebody took a bite of a really bad piece of food and said, Oh, this is not good. George, you take a bite. I mean, you're like, no way. I don't want to do that. So
1: I guess I've just <laughs> I, stayed I away. I
0: loved, loved it there. I loved it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of music, live music. And it really is a place to, if you're a fan of music, it's a great place to immerse yourself for sure.
1: <laughs> Did
2: you have any, uh, stick out food moments while you've visited Cleveland?
0: I had ice cream at a place that had ice cream. I'm not sure where I was now, but it was a place that had ice cream that was from a, uh, I guess a, uh, a former. Um, uh, department store. Do you know about this at all? <laughs>
2: uh, it's not ringing a bell. The, like the the, the big uh, ice cream thing now here locally is a uh, Mitchell's ice cream, but I don't know if that's right. even the same thing.
0: But this is an old, old school thing that came I guess it was originally served at some small counter in a in a department store in Cleveland, hmm. and some guy bought the recipe and served it in his ice cream shop, which is just outside of <laughs> I think just west of Cleveland. I mean, oh. it's totally random. I know, but it was fantastic. It's kind of like a soft serve type ice cream, kind of chocolatey, kind of coffee-like, I'm not sure, but it was really good.
2: All right, I'll have to do a little more digging yeah. on that. Uh, what about from a burger standpoint? Did you take in any Cleveland burgers of any type?
0: I mean, not much, I to tell you. I mean, I don't have any favorites there except for... Who, who is the galley boy? What's the place with the galley boy? The that's uh,
2: galley boy? that's Swenson's, but, Swenson's. I mean, I can't Sorry. even believe we're <laughs> we going to get into our first controversy of the evening. You know what? As somebody who has had a lot of burgers in my day, and I told my oldest at Seton Hill University that I said, Bobby, I'm having uh, the foremost hamburger authority in the country on this. She's like, Dad, you know I'm the foremost hamburger authority, and I would love to have a conversation with George, and we would uh, trade barbs. And I said, just back down, kid, and focus on those studies in volleyball. But Swenson's, <laughs> to me, it's it's local. It's grown a tad. It's got that, you know, uh, dudes running around real quick to your car, and it kind of scares me a little bit, and quickly the food comes out. But I don't know, aside from just a little bit of a unique taste to that Galley Boy burger, if it's really
0: kind of uh, life-changing. Um, well, I, I'll tell you why it's, I'll say why it's important, is because – a place like Swenson's uh, actually has a DNA DNA in it that goes back to the original uh, drive-in, which actually predates even the hamburger.
1: Mm.
0: Original drive-ins were actually uh, they started with a pig stand. They actually started as pig stands in Texas, and that what they what those kids do, those teenagers do, is they're doing exactly what car hops did back in the in the 30s and 40s in Texas, and of course, eventually across across America. Mm. Do you know where the word car hop comes from? Yep. Do you, know, you know the story of the car hop. I do not. So somebody is as, as active as the say the car hops or the, the the guys that would come out and take your order at Swenson's, yep. they would literally run out to the street as a car was turning into the lot and they would jump onto the running board of a car. <laughs> car hop <Huh. laughs> and they would ride your car into a spot while they were taking your order. Really they would, they would, they would they would buy a few seconds to actually take the order on your by standing on your running board. What can I get you, sir? Wow, that's a great story. So So if you think about it, Swenson's actually is an extraordinarily important piece of American food history.
2: All right, I'll buy that. Uh, very good. We're talking with George Moats, totally, and uh, Carhop totally makes sense now that you actually explained it because nobody's done that before. Um, so <laughs> let's uh, I mean, let's talk about. Uh, and maybe you don't like to you know hear it or you know it's just humble, but you know being the leading hamburger, uh, hamburger authority. So how does one build a way to be recognized as a hamburger authority?
0: I mean, I started uh, almost 20 years ago. I made a film just for fun, about, called Hamburger America, which was a, a very small, I mean, actually a very quiet film that explored eight different hamburger restaurants in America. And back then, nobody was doing any any kind of hamburger reporting at all. <laughs> I mean, even if the Food Network hadn't even they hadn't taken the hamburger seriously at all. It wouldn't show up at any kind of show at all. So someone said to me, could "You have a Food Network, could you make some content for you know for some in between the shows?" And I said, "Sure, why not?" And I made one little five-minute clip about a hamburger place in New Mexico, and I realized that it was so much bigger than any kind of silly food network thing. And I ended up making a, a one-hour documentary that went on PBS, it went on the Sundance channel, uh-huh. and that sort of started my whole, my uh, my branding, if you will, for the whole hamburger world that I'm now, <laughs> I now basically own. It's kind of funny.
2: I mean, do you, do you dig that? Do you dig kind of being the face of a, of a portion of an industry?
0: I do. I mean, I do, I, because I'm asked my opinion often. I, I do have the answers, which is kind of nice. Uh, but I do – I'm constantly – I mean I, I'm getting – I'll probably get 10, 15 uh, texts a day saying, you hear this happened? this person lift clothes, this person changed this meat, this, mm-hmm. this person has a new spatula. <laughs> I mean I've become a lightning rod for everything. I mean I hear everything that's going on. So even though I – you know, the whole, the idea of being an expert is that you have passion and you, obviously for something you have ex- you, know, you have knowledge. So if you, if you combine passion and knowledge, you do become an expert, and I've got both those things. I mean spades for sure.
2: So prior to Hamburger America coming out, or you know, I'm sure there was a bunch of time that you were working on it, and then leading up to its release. But prior to that, what are you doing as a profession? Is it uh, photography? Is it videography?
0: Yeah. So what I do. So I mean, before the reason I was able to make this film happen is I'm a I'm a a director of photography by trade. I'm basically I I shoot. I was back then I was shooting a lot of TV shows and uh, TV commercials. And I would travel a lot. And every time I was on the road, I would people would say to me, George, you gonna go check out a hamburger spot? <laughs> they would laugh at me. Yeah, I actually am. I've got my camera in the bag. And I want to go interview somebody about hamburgers. Hmm. And which I did. I mean, I spent a lot of time. So I would basically piggyback jobs. I would be in Milwaukee. I would be in Santa Fe. I'd be in California. And I would bring my camera and I would shoot interviews people just to get an idea of, you know, what 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 actually what is hamburger America.
2: Let's do this. Can we find or is there a trackable, quote-unquote, first burger or burger zero of the hamburger world? Does it exist?
0: It's, you know, it's, it probably does, but none of us really have that kind of information because it happened before the Internet. <laughs> and the Internet always tells the
2: truth, by the way, George. I don't know if you knew
0: that or not. <laughs> exactly. So, But if you if you go back to the very, very beginning, the reason we don't have anything that's actually tra- traceable is simply because um, the hamburger may have uh, been invented at a state fair. And of course, state fairs are transient. And we're talking about state fairs in 1890s, 1895. Mm. And you know, back then, there was, you, people would say, oh, I had this great thing in a, it was a Hamburg steak, which is normal back then, was served on a plate, with a, served with a knife and a fork. I mean, I, my guess is somebody at a state fair watched a hot dog walk by and said, whoa, we should put our Hamburg steak on a, on a piece of bread. Hmm. And that may have been how it was and it probably happened four or five, six times over in a span of five years. And then so there's really no way to track you know a lot of claims to the original hamburger. But we do know that it definitely it started at, at a state fair somehow in the Midwest.
2: Does it surface in a more stable brick and mortar and or restaurant environment at some point?
0: It does. Actually, I mean one of the, the, the best claims that I, that I like, not probably not an original claim the timing was a little bit late. Uh, it was nineteen hundred. a place called louis lunch in connecticut served that they say they served the first hamburg steak (laughs) on bread Hmm. which is basically chopped beef cooked somehow and served on bread and their their story that i guess the fifth generation family member told was that somebody ran and said i'm in a rush can you I, i can't i don't have time for a knife and a fork could you please just throw it on some bread and they say they invented it then though i do believe that it may have been invented in the midwest before that what's nice though is that at louis lunch in connecticut it's the, it still is the, uh, the longest continually operating hamburger restaurant in America, which I find fascinating. I mean, they've been around for 119 years.
2: So you can go right there today and, and potentially get the f- first creation of a hamburger right there in 2019?
0: Yeah, they should actually still make it on toast. Oh, really? <laughs> they, have, wow. they never adopted the bun. <laughs> is, it a, is it a big place?
2: I mean, do people go there for nostalgia and to say they ate there, or is it you know pretty
0: run-of-the-mill busy? It's funny. It's a little bit of both. <laughs> you do get, you get fans there who can't believe they're, they're eating in what we call hamburger church. It's like one of the most important <laughs> places in, in, the, in the world of hamburgers. Uh, you walk in, there's no music, there's no music playing. There's nobody saying, hi, can I take your order? <laughs> they really couldn't get crap by you. You walk in and <laughs> they look at you, like you've just walked in. up, this, you know, like, can I, what, do you, what do you want? And you give them your order and they're happy to give you a burger. But they're not. It's not all warm and fuzzy, and you know, it's not. The, you don't. If you if you ask for ketchup, you're shown the door. If you ask for too many burgers, you. you're shown the door. Wow. You know, if you tell them that you want a burger cooked a certain way, they'll look at you like you're crazy. You know, and I tell people just when you walk in there, just don't be a jerk. Just just do. Just walk in there and get the burger they've been serving for 119 years. <laughs> Enjoy it and get the hell out of there.
2: <laughs> is that a is that a stick a shtick that they're running there, or they're just built like that?
0: No, it's. I swear, it is no shtick. I've known these guys forever. They've become good friends of mine, and they are just—they're just. I mean, they're hard-boiled. They're this is like hard-boiled hamburger, you know, hamburger royalty as far as I'm concerned. Hmm.
2: Uh, George Moats joining us here on the show. Uh, by the way, if you want to check out his website, it is uh, his name georgemotes.com and uh, you can check him out here while we're chagging up here over the next few minutes. So, George, let's kind of pull it back out again here at 30,000 feet and uh, talk a little bit of opinion here. So in your estimation, what makes burgers great? Regardless of type and region, we'll get all of that stuff here in a minute, but what makes burgers great?
0: I mean, the number one ingredient to a great burger is fresh ground beef cooked correctly. Um, and, and the second thing is, I think is also equally as important is that once you have that fresh ground beef, how do you build a burger? I mean, you know your first bite of a burger really should be the thing that you say to yourself, "I'm coming back." <laughs> so you take that first bite and you've got to taste of everything in that first bite, whether it's you know it's just the burger and cheese and the bun or you're tasting all the elements that the person gave you that, that the, the, the sauce and the onions and whatever else is on there, it should all be in the first bite. So that's the most important thing is that the I call the comeback bite so that the first bite should be the one that says, "I'm coming back.
2: When you talk about the meat, I've had a number of people on here during the course of the 12-year run of the show. Then we get fairly into the minutia of, you know, is it Choice? Is it Prime? Is it Certified Angus? Is it Wagyu? Is it 80-20? Is it 75-15? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, What do you find to be the best uh, meat choice? And then what's your fat blend choice as
0: well? Yeah, again, it has to be fresh, but never frozen. I mean, even sometimes if you freeze a large, you know, side of animal or you freeze, you know, boxed beef and then you try to grind it, it's still going to, you've already destroyed the cells of the animal. You're much better off starting with a fresh product. The best bur- burgers will always come from an animal that was never frozen. Um, and for me, it's, I was, it's Chuck. Honestly, if you can, I mean, the foolproof way is to go 80-20 or 75-25 Chuck, which means 75% lean, 25% fat. This is the, I think it's probably the best thing for a burger.
2: Temperature-wise, as you're cooking, do you have a uh, internal temperature of the burger that you like to pull it off at, or, or are you a thermometer guy when you're cooking burgers, or does it all just kind of look, feel, poke?
0: Yeah, I'm actually I'm only a thermometer guy for the cooking surface, not for the internal temperature, because I, mm-hmm. used to, I, I my favorite burger to cook is a smash burger. I like to be able to cook a burger smash, you know, super thin, but cooked fast and hot. Um, and for that, I need a, a griddle that's burning at least 500 degrees. So if, if, if my thermometer is kicking back 500 degrees, I have a surface-free thermometer. If it's 500 degrees, I'm in great shape.
2: Um, let's talk about Smash Burger for a second because I've – I mean, it's obviously been around for quite some time. It's a favorite of yours, and I've been seeing it, you know, I'd say over the last uh, 18 to 24 months, a lot more prevalently in YouTube videos, on some of the Periscope videos and so forth. Can you give me an idea of, for somebody who doesn't know us about a Smashburger, the the general concept and how you bring it from start to finish?
0: I mean, the basic idea is Smashburger is back to the beginning of the hamburger age. I mean, the, the Smashburger was invented strictly for speed. It was only done for to get people in and out of the restaurant as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Other guys at the beginning had stools with four to six stools. I mean, they actually, had, had it stands with four to six stools in front. And if you had a guy sitting on a stool, you want to get him out of there as fast as possible. so mm-hmm. You'd get you, you You took little balls of beef and you smashed them on a flat top and they cooked within about 30 seconds to a minute they cook super fast they go on they go onto to a very small back then they served them on dinner rolls small uh pullman rolls or dinner rolls that's that's where we get the slider from um and then you could buy four or five or six of those and and, you know inhale those and walk away and and free the stool up (laughs) so you start you go you think about a smash burger it really is all about speed but it's also happening is a smash burger has to be cooked on a flat top, it has to be cooked on some kind of a hot surface to get that really, really amazing, crunchy, you know, griddled char. And that, that I think, is the best part of it, the flavor profile. You know, a lot of the thicker burgers, they're fantastic, and they're full of juice. They're full of juices that taste like a steak. But honestly, you know, when you're trying to make a smash burger, you're not trying to make a, a burger that tastes like a steak.
2: <laughs> Are you looking for juiciness of that? Or, I mean, is it a whole different expectation?
0: There's two different types of juice. <laughs> there is actual rendered fat inside of, inside of a, um, uh, again, thick patty burger. Yeah. But there's also some other like regular, you know, the, the liquefied, you know, the uh, lique- liquefaction that's happening inside this knot has nothing to do with any kind of liquefied fat at all. With a smash burger, it's strictly just liquid fat. <laughs> hmm. um, and it's concentrated liquid fat because you smashed
1: it thin.
2: And are you typically stacking these, or I mean, can it just be one on a on a on a? Well, okay, let me back up for a second. Uh, When you people are now talking about meat to bun ratio, I'm getting some instant chat stuff here. Uh, Do you have a meat to bun ratio specificity depending on the type of burger that you're making, or typically if you're making this kind of burger, you want to have about this much
0: bun? I mean, to me, the best meat. I'll give you some secrets here. Inside scoop. That the um, <laughs> the for me, the best meat to bun ratio is a three inch potato roll, so three inch bun. Uh, and you're talking about two separate patties. If you have two smashed patties that are about two and a half to three ounces each, probably two and a half ounces is probably enough. So you're talking about a five five ounces of meat with a three inch bun is probably the best way to go. And you're talking about smash this if you, if you take a two and a half ounce patty, and you smash it thin. It has to be in a little bit bigger the size of the bun, so it's a pretty thin patty. But what you get though is you end up with four surfaces that have the Maillard reaction with a nice brittle crunch. You get that nice that that almost like it's almost like beef candy as belt on the outside of the burger. But you have four sides that have it on. There.
1: Are you You're a bun? Are
0: you a bun toaster? I'm not, It's funny. I do appreciate the bun toast. I do. I don't appreciate people who put too much butter on, on a burger. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me because if you if you over butter the bun, the bun will just fall apart right? because hmm. once all those rendered fats start to attack the bun, you've got a matter of seconds before that thing falls apart yeah. in your hand. So if, if you have a buttered bun and you haven't toasted it correctly, you are too much butter, it will definitely deteriorate the bun way faster. So for me, I personally actually like to do what I call letting it ride. I flip a burger on a flat top. And then I put the crown to the top part of the bun down first. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, the cheese goes down first, and the crown goes on top of the cheese. Then I put the heel of the bun upside down or right side up on top of the top of the bun. <laughs> and it becomes this, this stack of two buns and cheese and meat that end up actually steaming the bun while it's sitting there on top of the, on the flat top for the mm-hmm. next minute or two. Mm-hmm.
2: We were talking about Smash Burger. Let me tie that up here because I've seen some of your videos and the picture you sent me to use here on the video size has a lot of onions on them. Is that a personal preference or is that a requirement in your estimation?
0: A little bit of both, I guess. But um, it is um, – that's actually – what I make uh, – when I do events, um, I make a burger called the Oklahoma Fried Onion Burger. And that only came about because I wrote a cookbook about three or four years – three years ago. And someone said to me, Well, can you come on the show and, and you know, can you come on a TV show and make a burger look what could you make in a five minute segment? I thought, What would be the best bang for my bank for their buck? And it became th- that burger, which is a smash thin burger. It goes back to the 1920s in central Oklahoma, actually, specifically a place called El Reno, Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, what they do is they actually take equally sized, you know, uh, equal, equally sized wad of uh, thin sliced tw- sweet onion and they smash it into a ball of beef and it cooks and it kind of intermingles and uh, mixes with the beef grease and, Caramelizes on the edges and gets kind of soft in the middle. Uh, It's pretty incredible. I mean, it's it's a it's one of those burgers that I I believe has the the, the sum is greater than its parts for sure. There's no question about it. People bite in this burger and they say, take a bite and they say, what what what's the sauce? What's the secret? What are your seasonings? And there's nothing. It's literally five ingredients. It's only (laughs) the bun, beef, cheese, salt, and onions, Mm -hmm. and that's it.
2: Sometimes simplicity is the most uh, complex of flavors, right?
0: what, I, what I, exactly what I like to think is that you know my job is to make sure that people are not just getting your life, but they're also you know getting an historically getting an historically accurate burger. They're actually enjoying something that is not just something that I made up on my own. and I've got this special blend of spices and whatever else. No. but my job is to make sure you're eating burgers or enjoying burgers that have some kind of historical significance. And that's that burger for sure.
2: George, when you're smashing the smash burger, is there a technique or a proper device that you need to use to smash, or does it matter?
0: Oh, no, it definitely matters. I mean, I <laughs> I developed a special tool called the Smashula, which is nothing more than a, a, a like a quadruple weight, um, very, very stiff stainless steel spatula. It's a big wide spatula, but I've had problems where I've, I've tried to smash with, with certain spatulas that have cracked and broken on me. Hmm. If you're trying to make or five, 600 burgers a day um, th- th- you can never get through a day without breaking a spatula. It's almost impossible. So I invented a 12 gauge stainless um, spatula that is designed just for taking balls of beef and you know, systematically smashing them exactly the same way every time. But what I actually do is a little different. I actually have a method, <laughs> which is uh, I stole a method from three different spots in the Midwest and it involves a very specific uh, roll, like a smash and roll. It's hard to explain as you actually see it happen. Um, but I do something that actually allows the edges to get, very very thin and crispy, almost like a like the lacy edged burgers of Central Illinois, which is a very specific type of burger. But it really it makes for a very very special burger.
2: Is there a uh, website? I mean, can I can I buy that Smashula on your website, or are they on Amazon, or where do you get them?
0: I, I wish you could. We, we actually sold out last December. <laughs> Our factory quit on us, and we could not find anyone to to actually pick up the uh, <laughs> pick up where they left off. We currently, unfortunately, have a waiting list of about 250 people waiting for a smash Really? Um, we're, we're trying to get back into production. I think that we are pretty close right now with a person who has taken it, taken it upon themselves. I said, listen, if, if you start now, we've got a very large order for you. So who wants it? And. I think we, we finally found somebody, so hopefully we'll have, I mean, the the, the idea is to have Smashless by Christmas, hopefully.
2: All right, so if you are interested in one of George's Smash-les, uh head up his website and kind of keep track of what's going on, and hopefully production starts to take off. Um, let's talk about this unique thing, and it's not unique now, but, you know, when it first started showing up on Burgers, maybe it's been around forever, and it was just kind of one of those Internet things is the uh, sunny side or the over easy egg on top of a burger. And then you either cut it in half or you lance it with a knife. So, you know, you get the nice yolk porn shot for your Instagram (laughs) or whatever. But I mean, have uh, have these kind of eggs been on burgers for like decades and decades? Or is it a fairly new
0: fashion? Well, I say in America, it's fairly new only because there are a few places in America that have always had an egg on a burger. I know a place in uh, in Virginia. I know there's a place in Texas. But outside of that, I don't uh, – an egg on a burger was is relatively new to Americans. Now, if you think about it, eggs on burgers have been happening forever around the world. I mean mm-hmm. eggs eggs play very, very well in most cuisines in the world. In fact, I had, a, had, a, had an Italian egg dish tonight for dinner, which is kind of odd. Um, but you think about eggs on burgers, you think – I mean they're – They've been doing it forever in Indonesia. They've been doing it for forever also in um, Australia. I mean, the idea that the Australian burger has it has a, has a cooked egg, a fried egg on it, but not so much in America. It's a newish thing. It's, it's actually become sort of a trendy gourmet thing also, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that all these guys who own these restaurants say, hey, you know, let's put a, a, an egg yolk, you know, it's, it's uh, half cooked, and then when it pops on Instagram, everyone will come and run and eat our burger, which, of course, is completely asinine. It makes me totally insane, <laughs> I mean, it makes me crazy.
2: But, but let's talk about, from, I mean, aside from that, and I believe I, I used to call it yolk porn and we, we used to make fun of people, you know, they didn't realize it, but we were making fun of people that were doing it all the time. From a taste and a textural addition to the burger, I think the that buttery yolk and the 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 beef and the cheese and, you know, whatever else is on top. It all plays wildly well together, albeit a, a little messy and so forth. But, I mean, what do you think? What do you think it adds uh, to a positive or a negative?
0: No, I mean, no, no question about it that it adds a, a very important richness to the burger. But, I mean, this, I, I'm sort of torn because, I mean, to me, if I go into a restaurant, and I, I travel the world, I've been a lot of places, and I, I see a dish that has an egg on top, I'm excited about it because I know it's going to add a certain amount of richness to the, to that dish for sure. I'm not so so sure I want that on my burger, though. I mean, to me, I think about the original burger. I think about the concept of the burger as something very, very simple and nothing more than meat and cheese, maybe just meat and onions and mustard, maybe a pickle. Mm. And that's what I want. I don't really want an egg on my burger. I want an egg for breakfast. (laughs) I (laughs) want an egg on my burger. Uh, would you be
2: good if they cooked like a, a dozen eggs and bled them all out and then you had like a ramekin of uh egg yolk that you could like dip your burger in or are we, are we conceptualizing something for George Motz's hamburger machine when it opens up?
0: Yes. I mean, I, I have friends who have very great high end restaurants. They've got eggs in their burgers. I love them. I love their burgers. But honestly, if I'm talking about a daily beater, something I'm going to literally eat every single day, yeah. I guarantee even those guys would show up in a restaurant saying, I don't want that burger with egg on it. I think I want a regular, good old American cheeseburger, something I can literally enjoy every day. And even yeah. think about it.
2: Right on. Uh, George Most joining us here on the show. All right. So let's have the uncomfortable conversation related to plant based meats. The two biggest names out there, of course, Beyond and Impossible. And for whatever reason, George, the debut comes as hamburger-style patties. So, do you have any, you know, high-level thoughts on plant-based meat and the fact that they entered a market uh, with hamburgers, no less?
0: Well, they entered the, ha- bar- <laughs> the market with hamburgers for the, ba- I mean, for the such a, I mean, a basic reason that um, it's, it was an easy, it was an easy grab. People could understand that more than that. people could understand that the farting cow. Over what a car might produce for some reason. I'm not sure why. They could also understand, you know, on any food that you could have created this uh, out of nothing, out of a science project, for some reason the hamburger made the most sense. So the people who are making this this um, what I call it, I call it imposter. <laughs> it's the imposter burger. Um, they're trying which is fine. They're trying to tackle the market. And successfully so. I mean, they're but they're preying on guilt, unfortunately, which I think is not such a great thing. They're actually they don't care about vegetarians, which they've openly said, I'm not sure if you knew that or not. They couldn't give a crap about vegetarians because vegetarians only make up, I think, 6% of the American uh, palate. (laughs) They care about the other 94% of Americans who actually are carnivores. They're trying to convert them. When I I spoke to my friends at Impossible Foods, they said, we're actually not trying to convert them. We're trying to basically tell them that they have an option. They They have options. So, I mean, research has shown that every seventh sandwich that someone eats at a fast food restaurant is going to be something alternative. Before there was Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, there was uh, the chicken sandwich <laughs> or the turkey burger, which is I think the biggest sham in the world. Um, it's also not very healthy either. By the way, I don't know why it's so healthy. It's full of crap. It's full, it's full of a lot, a lot of stuff. That has, I mean, a hamburger itself is literally has nothing in it but hamburger and hamburger fat and a lot of good natural stuff. You know, you put you put a lot of like breadcrumbs and crap in a, a turkey burger to make it taste like anything. So. So beyond meat is actually they're beyond meat and uh, Impossible Foods are actually on the right track in terms of trying to you know get people to to eat burgers the problem is it doesn't taste like a burger so
2: <laughs> Well I mean I would argue that uh, while they're trying to I guess provide an alternative uh, that they definitely don't care about humans in general because if you look at the calorie <laughs> intake and how highly yeah. processed it is uh, and I've said it on this show for months and months now. It's not a healthy alternative by any by any stretch of the imagination. It's not healthier than yeah, red meat. Yeah. It's not going to save your life. It's not going to do any of that. It's just a beef alternative, and that's all it is. And I think some people continually get caught up in, okay, well, it's not meat, so that means it must be healthy. Even though they're not saying
0: it, they're not also not saying it. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, you, <laughs> I hate to say it, but if you look at, Look at this thing about Americans. You know what they looked like physically in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. I mean, you had the Depression in there for a while, and they, people were probably starving. But they were pretty thin. They were pretty lean humans. You mm. think of, look at pictures of your grandparents. Yeah. You know, they they look fantastic. <laughs> you know, why do they look so good? Because they were eating natural foods before this is before processing, before anything, pretty much. And um, a hamburger is not a really it's not a bad thing. It's not bad for you. The bun may be worse than the actual meat itself yeah. in a way. If you think about it. So sure, I mean, I do believe that that companies like uh, Beyond and Impossible, they're they're what they're basically doing is they're preying on guilt, which is is an interesting part of the American psyche, um, but it's a very important part of branding and the way businesses run. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're they're onto something, right?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I had had Pat Lafrida on the show maybe two and a half months ago, and he's kind of semi recurring. We love to talk beef with Pat, and he's. A From a high level there, La meets Meats is a supporter of the alternative beef or the plant-based meat product, but he said entering into this sector as a burger is a tremendous failure, and it's not going to overcome the necessary hurdles it needs in order to probably see the success that they were hoping for. But he seems to think that in a different form, let's say – ground beef or something along these lines in a commercial kitchen or in the kitchen in your house, that's going to be where the ultimate success lies for Beyond an Impossible Meat.
0: Well, if, if there, it's, again, it's still a science project. It's still a marketing ploy. It's a lot of things that haven't quite fleshed out yet. I'm pardon the term. They haven't really fleshed out what's happening here. Um, you know they're getting there. They've they, they've done. I mean they've done an amazing amount of marketing, and they've done a. lot. I mean, it's really obviously been very effective. People are talking about it nonstop. I must have done ten interviews a week um, the minute that the good old BK decided to go with Impossible Foods. Mm. Um, so but I think it's definitely it's it's the, the problem that I have with it is simply that it doesn't taste good. <laughs> Which I think if you're talking about a hamburger, I think you got to be you got to know the taste first, and they've had point you know they've had 2.0 was introduced last year and it was honestly it was a lot better than the than 1.0 that's for sure hmm. but it wasn't quite there yet and i see what they're missing is so they're missing a very important scientific component that we've talked i've talked about with them they're missing oleic acid hmm. oleic acid is something that's found in mostly in the bottom of the animal uh briskets and the, the slower yep. cooked cuts you yep. know the oleic acid is very important uh, aspects to flavor profile of meat and uh, it also exists, you can also find it in, in avocado, and you can find it in uh, olive oil. Uh, so it exists out there. But it, you have to have that. That's what that's what has that's, – that's people go back to brisket. They can't understand why they love brisket so much. And it's because of that. It's because of the, oleic, the, the draw of oleic acid.
2: If I'm not mistaken, I believe I recently read an article that said oleic acid is actually – uh, a health benefit, too. I mean, I didn't go out of its way to say you should be eating eight pounds of brisket, but it said if you're going to eat <laughs> red meat, maybe, you know, a brisket with the benefits of oleic acid probably isn't a bad thing. Or if you have the uh, option, choose the brisket.
0: This is true, <laughs> but it really it's more of the high. It's more of the high you get from uh, from eating brisket. It's... It, I mean, it is inherent in the oleic acid. That's where it comes from. All
2: right, George, I'm going to put you on the spot here with 30 seconds left to go. Uh, Favorite
0: burger you have ever eaten and why? Oh, I can't. That's a a secret. I can't tell you that. I can't play favorites, unfortunately. I can't do that. All
2: right, I'm going to tell you my favorite burger because I don't have any problem calling people out. The favorite burgers, and it just recently happened on my visit to Chicago, uh, a couple Ooh. weeks ago, I went to Au Cheval on the West Loop. I was expecting a three-hour line. It was a Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. I got right in, sat right down at the bar, yep. watched the symphony and masterpiece that was happening at the flat top with, like, a dozen dudes back there sweating on top of each other. That burger, and it was a double yeah. burger. They were thinner. I did <clears throat> get the egg thick-cut bacon. It was a sublime <laughs> marriage of meat and fat and cheese, and the bun was delicious. I think by far currently a best restaurant hamburger I've had. Have you, have you been there?
0: of course I've been there. Um, uh, I've been there a bunch of times. Uh, yeah. I do love the burger. I think that's what, I mean, if you're looking at Chicago, it's obviously one of the best in the Midwest, one of the best gourmet higher end burgers in Chicago, for sure. Mm-hmm. Unquestionably. I'm not a big fan of that big piece of pork belly they put on there though, or bacon, whatever they call it. Yeah. They call um, it bacon. It needs to come off. Yeah. They need to take that off there. Or you just take it off yourself, eat it as a snack <laughs> later on. Put it in your pocket and save it for later. Right. Um, the egg, I think, is an add-on. It must have added the egg. I yeah, thought, it was right? an add-on, the, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I've had the egg, and i actually the first time I went there had the egg. I thought it was too much. It was too rich. It was too, <laughs> too much going on. But I need to take a nap after this. A burger shouldn't make you have to take a nap. You should, a burger should be something that, that propels you through the day, not makes you want to crash. You know. Right. Uh, <laughs> So the egg was a little bit much, but I, I definitely I I, I've, I do appreciate that burger for sure. That is a great burger. I'm not gonna tell you that the, 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 in New York City we have a new great burger just came just came out. Uh, Billy Durney at, at uh, who started hometown yep. a barbecue place. I'm sure you hometown. Oh, he yep. opened a restaurant called Red Hook Tavern. That burger is literally off the charts, and it's so good because it is nothing more than dry aged cuts blended with some other you know fresh meat, fresh beef, um, cooked on a flat top, <laughs> and served on a like a very basic bun with nothing more than American cheese. Hmm. And it is fantastic. And I love the fact that it's it's, it's a triumph for burgers because there's nothing to this burger except for the quality of the meat and the way it's cooked and cheese. And that's it.
2: Well, October 8th and 9th, I may be in New York city for my middle daughter's uh, modeling gig. And that means most of the day I have nothing to do, but toil around. So that could be a place where I I might want to hit up then. Right.
0: Give me a call. You're
2: not going to get in without me. <laughs> oh Very good. Then uh, George has laid it out there on the line. I will definitely take you up on that if that actually comes to fruition. In the meantime, you can hit up George's website, georgemotes.com, and see everything that he has done. And uh, also, uh, this archive will be available tomorrow uh, just after the midnight hour sweep. George, this has been an incredible couple segments, great insight, uh, great energy, and I certainly appreciate it. Hopefully, we can do it again.
1: Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You got it. There he is.